Hey, everybody, we're here talking about Olympic locations for 2024. No, just kidding. Um, welcome, everybody. We're here on Disrupt TV. We're going to do quick introductions of our awesome guests. Uh, we're going to reverse order. We're going to start with Mark, Dr. Janice, and of course, Suki, and we'll work our way backwards. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're talking about today and where you're dialing in from. Mark? Well, I'm dialing in from Los Angeles, and I'm talking about Michelangelo mindset. It's a it's been nominated for 2021 Breakthrough Idea Award by Thinkers 50. And it's a whole way of just changing the way you look at the world and into the world and takes away that transactional push, push at people, push people away energy. That's wonderful. That's very, very cool. Dr. Janice, where are you calling in from? Calling in from sunny Florida, where we're getting ready to go in the pool right after this is over. Uh, and uh, talking about, well, talking about relationships, because that's kind of what I always talk about. And my new thing, which is called Know Me. So don't go to knowme.com, but if you go to my uh, website, myname.com up there, uh, you can learn a little bit about it and maybe more about it. Should you be at Constellation Connected Enterprise 2021? In person, we hope. <laughs> very, very cool. Suki, what are you doing? What's in your hand? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, it's down. It's, okay, I'm going to go. I put it down. But, um, well, look, I'm dialing in from London. What am I going to talk about? Eh, whatever I feel like in like five minutes. No, I'm going to be talking about a little bit about safety tech, London Tech Week, and probably giving you a little insight also into our upcoming CI Fellows Summit, which is called In Technology We Trust, with a question mark. Ooh, Who knew? All right. Well, very, very cool. Well, this is it. And, you know, thanks for joining our show. We're going to kick off soon. I'll do the honors. All right. Three, two, one. Cool. And welcome, everybody. This show is sponsored by Robots and Pencils. And, of course, we're going to take off. All right, Vala, all yours. All right. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. It's my uh, pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Uh, Ray is a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and Wall Street Journal. He's, in my opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to the Shrub TV. Welcome. Hey, thanks a lot. Awesome co-host here, Bala Afshar. He's our chief digital evangelist for Salesforce, and he's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. But when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses such as these show notes um, here on TVNet. So very cool. Who's our first guest all the way from London? All the way from London gets the Long Distance Award for episode 248. Our first guest, Suki Fuller, analytic storyteller and fellow at the Council of Competitive Intelligence Fellows. Suki is a competitive strategic advisor, analytic storyteller, and acclaimed keynote speaker. Her eclectic 16-year career with strategic intelligence and technology has taken her from the U.S. Department of Defense to teaching students in China. Talk about the broad range there. Suki currently resides in London, as we said, where she's an intrinsic part of the tech community and was recently named by Financial Times as one of the top 100 Black Asian minority ethnic, BAME, leaders in UK technology. Additionally, Suki was named Computer Weeklies as one of the most influential women in UK IT. <laughs> and also named one of the 30 change makers to watch for a London Tech Week, which I think we're gonna talk about. Suki's dynamic, humorous, and direct approach to public speaking has taken her all around the world to a wide array of audiences from startups to global organizations. You can follow Suki on Twitter at Suki Fuller, S-U-K-I-F-U-L-L-E-R. Welcome back, Suki, to Disrupt TV. You didn't have to read all that. I shortened it. <laughs> all three 
of you have that massive was still, bios. It was still too long, still too long. I'm like, stop already. <laughs> you could have just stopped with my name and title. That's it. You've done a lot. You've done a lot. You've done a lot. You've done a lot. And the last time you hear, you're hinting about all the cool stuff you're doing in this category called safety tech, right? And how's it different from data you know, privacy or maybe cybersecurity, right? And and you're you're yeah. ranting about, you're hinting about what was going on there. So we're gonna go deep back there, and we can talk about anything else you want uh, throughout the show. You know, I, I I vent about it because I always say, you know, when it comes down to the whole aspect of safety, we always think about protecting our data. We talk about protecting networks. We talk about protecting. Oh, you know all the things that we are sort of intangibles in the world, even money. We think about money, but we never think about the people. And it's like, wait a minute, why are we just protecting all this stuff? But the people are the thing that we really need to protect first. Before you can have a network, you need the people that are actually going to be building a network, using a network. We need to protect them to make sure what they're doing. And as people, because you know, we have keyboard warriors. People forget when you actually make a comment on a website or just talk to somebody, you're affecting how that person feels, reacts, what they're doing. And so you may throw something at somebody online and when they're done reading what you've written, that's affected them. It's affected their head, their mindset, their emotions, and then they go off and they do what they have to do. And if that person is the person who's protecting your money and they're really upset because somebody just threw a whole bunch of online abuse at them and you didn't have any protocols in place just to even protect that person, guess what? That person might be the one that accidentally accepts a invite or just one keystroke. And before you know it, we've crashed the whole Eastern seaboard. You know, it's, it's those sort of things that people don't really think about when they're building their company. They think about protecting data. They think about protecting networks, cybersecurity. We think about all of those integral parts of what we need, but we don't think about people. So Let me, jump in, real quick. Let me jump in real quick. So you're saying like in our design frameworks and in the way that we yes, build software, yes, like we yes. don't even think about the safety of people? No, we're, we're protecting everything but people. Think about it. That's it's scary. always something that is added on afterwards. When something negative happens, when there's online abuse that takes place, when you know you had Gamergate, you have all of these people infiltrating with child pornography, you have all of this going on. And it's then that people go, oh, well, maybe we need to put these protocols in place. It's like, I'm sorry, but for everything that you do, there's a yin and a yang. So we know that when we build build systems, there are always going to be people that want to take advantage of what you're doing. For every tech for good, there is somebody going, hey, tech for good? It's not called tech for bad, but I can make more money doing this. And that's ultimately what happens. Unfortunately, you have good people in the world and you have bad people in the world. And when we build things in tech, we're always thinking about the greater good, how this is going to help people. But we do have to acknowledge. And that's just it. People are not acknowledging the other aspect. And we're not. We have that blind spot. And when we are building, we're going, this is so great for the whole world. This is going to be the best thing. That little devil that's on the other shoulder People have to pay attention to it when they're building. You have to build in the safety protocols. You know, think about it. When you're out in the real online world, yeah, you don't think about that stuff. When you're out in the real offline world, guess what? You have the protections of law enforcement, the military, the police. You have the people that are protecting your building, the security guards. You have your doctors, your nurses that are helping protect you with your health. But when you go online, people just think, oh, that's not in real life. I hate that term, IRL, hate that term, because it, it's like when people say work-life balance. I'm like, no, life balances everything in life. You don't have a separate life for work, and you don't have a separate life for being online. It's all one. And these are just parts of it. What about my metaverse? Come on. I want my second life in my metaverse. <laughs> but but it's, it's all part of a bigger picture. It's all part of you okay. as a human. Okay. So it's you as a human, and you have different facets of your life. 
And so it's not, you know, we can't segment everything as much as we like to do that in tech. You can't when it comes down to an actual human. <laughs> so people just forget. And it's really frustrating over the years because in competitive intelligence and in intelligence, we always try to build that function in at the very beginning. We're saying you don't look for market intelligence or competitive intelligence when you go out there and you've already built your product. You need to be aware when you're actually designing what's going on in the marketplace. You need to be building those functions where you're looking at the competitive landscape all the time. It's like you're hiring your people. You're looking at the competitive landscape of, okay, where are those people coming from? Where am I going to hire new people? Where have they been? You know, you, you look at all of that 360 all the time. You should be applying the whole lean principles to yourself while you are building. And those principles should include safety. Safety and safety tech, because you need that for your employees. You need that for your customers. You need that when you're just everything. I just, it gets so frustrating because you see people build an online platform. Like we have, um, oh, oh, I forget what it's called. Hallelujah. Yeah, the champagne is already working. <laughs> Let me take a sip. <laughs> take a sip, Alec, jump in. So, no. so you have, um, so you, you have, um, uh, what's the audio, social audio thing? I forgot what Clubhouse, it's called. Clubhouse. Oh, yeah. See, I forgot what it's called because I Spaces. stopped using it. <laughs> I think we all stopped using it. So, so Clubhouse, they had that onslaught of just people being abused, and they hadn't considered that when they built the platform. It's just like when people are building platforms, they're not considering people that are hearing impaired, people that have vision problems. It's like, I have a vision problem. Sans serif people, serif is not a very nice font for no. people with vision problems. You build something, looks really pretty, but guess what? Those letters just blend and bleed for people like me. You know, it's like, think about your font. Just like you think about those things when people are designing, but they're not actually thinking about the whole aspect of safety. And that's what needs to be in people's heads. You can be prosecuted for a crime when you say something that is harmful to someone online. And we're now seeing that in the UK. We have the online harms bill. We're seeing it more and more where people are actually facing the repercussions of their actions online. We had that with the Euro 2020, all the abuse that people were playing, throwing at football players, and people have been prosecuted. And they have, people have lost their jobs, people have been fined, people have done, you know, minimal jail time, but still, now people are actually starting to realize, oh, wait a minute, whatever I say online, that is basically the same thing as if I were in person saying that to someone's face and I could get arrested, I can't do that. Yeah. And that's what we need to see. It's There's the good and the bad, I think, with that, because it does feel a little bit like on policing, but it's something that should have been there from the very beginning of you know, what we call the internet. I think it should have been there because we see how fast technology is moving technology is advancing greatly for younger people and we need to have those protections in place for those children because those children are going to be missing a level that people in generation x have we were part of the analog world we function in a different way we have one foot in each we understand the digital we also understand the analog your children that are born now they only understand the digital so for them there are protections that they will never have. I mean, oh, we won't even go into my whole <laughs> my whole issues well, yeah. with people posting pictures of their kids and privacy and well, security yeah. and facial recognition technology. We, you know, Ray, how who, I get who, who, who would do that kind of stuff? You wouldn't give away your private it's, information. It's, but but I know I know Val is dying to get a question in here, so I'm gonna pop him in here. Real quick. Sorry. <laughs> No, these are, it's 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 profound uh, observation in that billions of dollars go into protecting systems and data, and uh, and and the people behind the technology has been have been forgotten um, in in large part. Yeah. You know, March of last year, whether you were in London or Boston or you know Silicon Valley with Ray, 
light switch. The world went decentralized and digital only uh, for many, many months. And now it's digital only or digital first, but certainly the world is more hyper-connected and there's more knowledge sharing and data uh, and more humans <laughs> doing their work uh, and life uh, in whatever imbalanced way uh, using digital technology. So you mentioned employees. Can you talk a little bit about safety tech in terms of training, reskilling, upskilling, um, managers, leaders, folks like myself, digital immigrants. I wasn't born mobile social cloud, so uh, where my children are digital natives, like you said. How do we understand the impact and the importance of safety, mattering, belonging? And do you see companies investing in training their leaders to be more empathetic? We have a world expert on listening to end our show. So I'm actually a little bit intimidated by it because I know I'm not a great listener. So I, I feel you know, nervous around Mark. Uh, your thoughts about employee readiness to embrace the safety tech mindset? So when it comes, when I what I think about, and most of the people that are working in the safety tech sector are really dealing with sort of the end user. It really has focused very much on children. But what I've been looking at is the employees, mm -hmm. the people that are building systems, people that are using systems, because you get a lot of online. I mean, if you're working for... Um, a retail store and you're that person that's dealing with people that have problems with their computers and you're that person that's not the chat box, you're actually the live person doing the live chat. You know, you get a lot of vitriol thrown at you because somebody's having a problem. And while you can be training somebody on how you handle that, there's still not the protocols in place so that that doesn't really happen. <laughs> <laughs> because you can basically mitigate for the risk, but people haven't thought about that when they've been designing. They're not saying, okay, these are some of the things that we can put in place before that even happens. They're not saying, oh, guess what? Online harm, something may happen, and this is where you go. You go to a website. Most websites have you know, the about section. There's not a section on there on online harassment, um, there's a company called uh, Yubu. Um, they are a French, um, I, I wrote about an article that I did, but they're a French social media company for teenagers. And they have an actual section there for, you know, online safety on the safety protocols of what you can do should somebody be harassing you online mm -hmm. as a teenager. Twitter then finally sort of adopted some of their measures. Like, you know, do you really want to be posting that when you go to social media and you're going to yeah, hit that yeah. tweet? They started doing, they got that from Yubu because okay. Yubu put that in place. So now you're seeing little pieces being integrated, but everybody's focusing on the empathy factor. And I think that is, that's kind of after the fact that mm. I, I just think that's something that should just be automatic but then the safety has to people really have to think about it when they are designing it should be part of your whole design process like how is this going to affect somebody when they come to this page and it's not being um snowflake or anything like that it's just really being considerate of the repercussions of what you're integrating into your website and how it may affect people or a, reflection of your, or a reflection of your brand as you're, as you're handing here. But hey, oh, yeah, your brand also. We're running also. out of time. And, I, and when Sorry. I asked you about London tech, <laughs> I just, what's I going like, on with the shortage tech tell you, scene? I'm going to tell you, London Tech Week is coming up. Uh, that's really bad. I forgot. <laughs> Sometime September in September. 20th and 24th. Um, <laughs> there LTW, you go. LTW. Yeah. LTW is the, is the hashtag um, at London, L, at LD. And Tech Week is the Twitter handle. And there's a bunch of stuff going on. They have a lot of in-person events, but also a lot of remote events. So I would say it I'm a little biased, but you know, London, we like we're like the tech tech capital now. You know, we especially when it comes to fintech. When it comes fintech, to fintech, we are crypto. ruling. You guys are rock, you guys are rocking. We are so. ruling the world when it comes to, you know, alternative banking fintech 
we got it hands down. So, you know, check out the events of London Tech Week. Also, check out um, at the CI Fellows because we have a summit coming up and the title is In Technology We Trust. And we'll be talking about just the humanizing of technology, what we can do, the integration, the collaboration to make humans a little bit more important than we have been with technology. We'll also be talking about safety tech and we'll have people like Rashad Tabakawala speaking. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I <awesome>. love him. <laughs> so he's one of our one of our fireside chats. So you know, um, so yeah, look out, save the date. That is the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of October. What's so. your involvement with the with the event? So, so everybody knows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am one of the CI fellows, um, competitive intelligence fellows, and it basically is people that work in the field of competitive intelligence, strategic intelligence former government intel people and um basically people in the industry nominate you and you become a ci fellow and i am one of i think there's 97 98 maybe 99 of us now out of a couple hundred thousand people so um that's like 100 people are ci fellows so i'm like and it's really cool because there are former deputy directors of the CIA in this organization. MI6, um, MIX. <laughs> yeah, it's it's basically across the board, national security, competitive intelligence, the former head of Motorola's um, CI division, um, the founder of that. It's, oh. it's just really cool that I was yeah. nominated and got to be a fellow. And it basically is just because, you know, I'm like one of the first people that started using tech for competitive intelligence back in the early days of Twitter and using geo, you know, it's like, mm, yeah, bright kite. I think I like this. <laughs> you know? it's, yeah. It's like back in the day. So here we are. We are. Analytical storyteller and fellow at the Council of Competitive Intelligence Fellows. More importantly, you'll see her at London Tech Week. Follow her on Twitter at Suki Fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R. Thank you so much for being on the show and happy Friday. Oh, thank, you. thank you very much. And Valor, you do listen very well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Thank, thank you, you very much. <laughs> Our pleasure. Thank you. You're great. Bye. Terrific. Super smart and uh, really a change maker. Um, and speaking of change maker, our second guest, Dr. Janice Presser, relationship expert, PhD in system science, tech inventor and author and a TEDx speaker. Uh, uh, Dr. Janice Presser has been engaged in research and development of teaming science and team analytics for her entire career, with a focus on developing more effective business teams and personal relationships, more important now than ever before. The architect of technology that measures how people interact. Dr. Presser also is author of eight books on various aspects of teaming in business and personal life, which you can find on her Amazon author page. Know Me is what we're going to talk about, hopefully, and learn more, is her most recent development in helping people understand who they are, how they contribute within their relationships, and how they can make life better. You can follow Dr. Janice on Twitter at Dr. Janice, D-R-J-N-I-C-E. Welcome back, Dr. Janice, to Disrupt TV. Hey, guys. So good to be back. So before you ask any questions or we talk about anything, I got to tell you, I've been traveling down memory lane <laughs> knowing that I was going to see you because when I think of you, I think of all the great years at Constellation Connected Enterprise, which is going to happen in person. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen this year. It had to be virtual last year. And as I was thinking back to all of those wonderful things Especially when I was thinking about you, Vala, I remembered the best hashtag ever to come out of CCE, and it was hashtag asking <laughs> for Vala. So I'm going to ask this one for Vala, and I know this has been on your minds, but you're too shy to uh, bring it up, and that's what did people learn about themselves and their relationships during COVID? It, hasn't that been what's been on your mind? Because it's been insane. You know, there have always been the work from home people, although really now in Florida, I'm, <laughs> I'm work from pool. 
so much done in the pool. It's, you know, kind of like you used to think of it, great ideas when you're in the shower. It's the water. It works. <laughs> that, is, that is so awesome. You're, you're working from the pool. I, I never, yeah. that's a new hashtag, WFP. <laughs> and it's because I, you know, I've had somebody to mull those ideas over with in the pool. And that's what led me to think about what did we really learn, all of us individually, from this experience, which in most places we're still going through? And unfortunately, the world is uh, joining us in the United States in this very, not very fun thing. But one thing I think that people really learned that brings together this idea that there are no separate lives. Work and your personal life, you have one life. And so I think many people discovered that they have a very strong preference for their relationships. And I call it the zero one or many. So either lockdown was awful for you because you were alone and you're either someone who really likes to have a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with one other person and that's true. That's not just true in personal relationships. You know, that's true. It's certainly you see it a lot in startups where you have two people uh, who come together to make a startup. But even in regular jobs, often you either do the front end of the job or the back end. And you have a, a person that you work with more than anybody else because oh, yeah. together the two of you really create the maximum value. So if uh, or you're somebody who likes to have a huge number of people that you see every day and you interact with every day. And I hope you're in some form of sales or customer service because that's where you're going to enjoy yourself. If you're a scientist in a lab, mostly thinking in your head, that wouldn't be a very good match. Um, so if you were the, if you were alone, pretty much working and, uh, and living alone, but you're a one or many person, you probably weren't all that happy. No. But if you were one-on-one, -on -one, locked down together, and you really didn't care too much about a lot of other people, probably your relationship, even though it got had challenges because you know the stress of all the unknown was very tough on people, you probably actually, when you think about it, enjoyed it more. The people who, of course, are suffering the most are the ones who love the big party. Now, I have to say, even though I thought a lot about the big annual party, which is how I actually think of it, CCE, it's all the, if you've never been there and you're listening here, it's all amazing minds and you really want to be there. So, you know, talk to, talk to Ray, get, <laughs> get an invite. You really want to be there. But it really isn't that everybody's chit-chatting and all socializing and everything. It's all so purpose-driven. It's where everybody's hearing about, you know, what's your new brilliant breakthrough? What are you, how are you disrupting? You know, hmm. how are you going to rule the world, right? Well, you know, you pick up those ideas from other people. So what happened was I started to rethink all of the work I had done previously, which was pretty much around business. And I really had to listen and <laughs> listening. I can't wait to hear the next uh, presentation because yeah, listening has never been my favorite thing, but I listened a lot to clients who tracked me down and they were often in remote places and conversations turned to other things. And they started to say, you know, the problem isn't finding people. Now, these are higher level jobs. I'll admit, if you're in the restaurant business, you probably have trouble, in which case, just pay them more. You'll be, it will work. Offer more money. Seriously, that's it. But for other kind of jobs, people were saying, you know, I can get people with the right experience. Where I have trouble is I have trouble managing my relationship with them. And then, of course, as they started to talk, they'd say, you know, it was just like the last conversation we had when we were talking about my personal relationship. And I realized that what people really needed was a way to understand themselves and have a way to present who they really were in terms of what drives them. And motivation is so important. Um, 
And if they had a simple way to do this, and I'm talking a one-page way to do this, short, no complication, that they would be able to not only help their personal relationship partner understand them more and therefore be able to manage the relationship better, but also anybody that they're working with from uh, the person, maybe the person whose team they want to join. You know, everybody's looking for new jobs. That's according to the all the data out there says. A great resignation. Uh, people, people have great fascination. But think about it. Let's say you work in a, in a company, Salesforce, probably a great example i don't know how many employees you have vala but it's is it seventy thousand? that's a large number and that and you also have kind of associated places you don't have to leave your employer and the kind of the mission that you've been on if you want something new and you're in a big enough place what you need is a way to meet people on a team that you might want to migrate. I think of it as migration mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, a job, uh, a complete uh, leave one job, go to another job. Uh, and how can you make that happen? Well, you know, a lot of times that happens the same way personal relationships happen. You have a friend, right? And that friend has another friend and they introduce you works well it may sound old-fashioned but it works really well oh yeah i mean who else knows you better than your friends and could know who you might get along with well we haven't quite worked out a way to formalize that in organizations i don't at least none that i've heard of yet but we do in many mid-sized small mid-sized companies incentivize people for getting their friends to apply and why not use it as a way to not, you know, to HR, what I guess think of it as retain people, but really to maintain that culture that you work so hard to build up. Let me pull something off from your website that you, you talked about. And I, I think this pretty much set the stage and I think it's important, right? I mean, you say, look, finding people to work for you is becoming easier, right? Look to LinkedIn for millennials and your professional circle for executives. As for those you consider essential workers, those who you can't replace with, but managing people is getting harder and you don't have time to strategize every move. So you fall back on managing genetically, uh, just like other Eric managers do. Right. Oh, generically. Sorry, generically. And genetically would be funny. And and that doesn't work, right? You want engagement without ever thinking about how lack of a little knowledge put into action is increasing disengagement in your workforce, right? So this is your Nomi platform that you're talking about that you've just launched, right? Yep. And it's one of those, like everything else I've ever done in my tech life, uh, because, you know, my tech dates back to way, way long ago. Um, not that you know, I'm not still digitally 21, but uh, digital. I'm really a millennial, a millennial head, and way too many candles on that cake. But you know, when when you when you think about it, it's I built this to integrate into other people's stuff. So you know, I've been there, done that with the CEO thing, and you know, that's not really what this is about. It's kind of in its exploratory place where. I've actually in, in, been in conversations with people on both sides of the aisle, the work aisle and the, and the personal aisle. And I don't expect that either of them is going to take on the opposite, although that would be interesting. And if anyone would do it, Vala, talk to the guys upstairs. because <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll <put> <laughs> It's just... It's because, you know, Salesforce is kind of a way of life for, for the people who use it. Really, when they talk about it, they talk about it as a it's a way of life because it's a way of connecting with with everybody in relationships because they get it sales about relationships. When has it ever been anything else? Sure, sure. In fact, uh, the, the R in CRM is relationships. So <laughs> we're in the business of relationships. Oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, but you know, when I when I think of work, and you mentioned you know workspace, and I think of it as uh, multiple teams, sports uh, happening concurrently. You have your tennis players and your golfers doing asynchronous work, 
uh, and then you have your basketball and volleyball and maybe track and field doing uh, uh, um, symmetric work where there is team portion or, or individual contributor. And I find it that it's difficult, uh, like you said, managing uh, relationships when it's, uh, when it's not asynchronous work, when, it's, when you, there's an input and an output dependency in terms of the work that you do. So when you're coaching your clients where it's a line of business, where it's highly integrated team approach, it's a basketball team, you have your center and guard and forward, you're depending on rebounds and, 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 and assists and, and points. How do you coach these folks to be mindful of this digital only decentralized world where folks like Ray and I who do mostly asynchronous work, you know, we're individual golfers and we just have to focus on the game and how we produce. We have very little requirement in terms of input and our output really has no dependency for the most part. Uh, so it's a little bit easier for us. Relationship building and coping with the last 18 months has been a bit easier for asynchronous workers. What is your advice for how do you manage these relationships when it's a team sport that you're responsible for? Right. Well, the biggest question, the reason why first, why your lives work and mine does also is that what we're expected to do aligns with the way in which we make our best contributions. Believe hmm. it or not, there are people who are not like us and I love them because I hate doing that work. I'm a terrible manager. It's true. I'm fine CEO. Terrible manager. Because doing that day-to-day -day work means that there is something completely different driving you. It's not better. It's not worse. It just is. That's who you are. And so when you understand how it is that you best interact, then what you need to do is match up with the kind of job that you're doing. Now, sometimes you're not quite ready for the job that you really want. I mean, most people aren't born CEOs. Although, uh, you know, if things don't improve women, the easiest thing to do is start your own company and you can get the title. Really, it's the fast track to it. But for most people, they have to go through those times of learning how to manage teams. And by understanding themselves and what drives them, they can use that drive that they have to, towards empowerment of themselves to, um, it's not faking it, but they will learn how to quickly respond to situations that don't really match with their general way of thinking, which is long-term strategy, but they will learn to pull back and do that in the service of being able to know it so that they can then forget it when they advance. That, by the way, is why we have successful militaries. You know how our military trains people when you're at one level and you go put up to the next level? Lesson one is forget everything you did before. Blank slate, because every level has a completely different set of responsibilities and ways of interacting. And it's exactly the same thing in our organizations. So as long as we're doing it the way that we do it, it's fine. Um, you know, I would venture to say that if you were had a different interest, um, you know, Ray, if you'd uh, uh, gone to... Uh, uh, you know, gone to, to medical school, let's say, um, you would have been off in a lab inventing stuff as opposed to uh, teaching students. It just, you know, one would have been more fun uh, than the other. Definitely, and you naturally would gravitate there if the environment allows you to. And it's always been in the past that there were restrictions, impediments to people doing what they want. Some of them are internal. And Nomi, of course, lets you know what those are. So you know that you really don't want to do that. And others have been external. So, you know, let's just say that it wasn't that many years ago when women were not hired. Uh, people of color were not hired. Immigrants were not hired. Uh, people with accented voices were not hired for the jobs that now we think if you're a millennial, you think, how could it ever have been that way? Well, kids, it was. And in some quarters, it still is. Wow. 
Wow. So, so, so you basically have a new tool here, right? And, and basically you can use this assessment. Um, it's yep. online. Um, and you know, you know, people can figure out, you know, how you interact with someone, become more productive with someone. Um, where do people go? Like where, where do they go to get started here? So at this moment, they go to my website, drjanicepresser.com. Couldn't be more simpler than that. And you'll have to send me an email and let me know. <laughs> so we do that. We do that in order to get to know you. Uh, well, no, it's it is at this moment in um, a uh, not not in an automated thing. As I said, I'm not going to be a CEO anymore. It is IP, and by the way, it's not the only bit of IP. All that other stuff that got invented that I found again because pandemic, you know, lets you search your computer. I said, oh my god. This is for measuring culture. I forgot completely about this. And this is for sales teams and this is for networking. And so it's all kind of, I finally brought it together and have it in at least a condition where it can be demoed and talked to because I'm not going to bring it to the world. Guys, very, very, you know, very, I'm the oldest cool. person in the room. So give me a break. I might <laughs> actually want to learn to play golf. <laughs> this is what happens when you move to Florida. We're here with Dr. Janice Presser, relationship expert, PhD system scientist, tech inventor, and author. And more importantly, check out Nomi. Uh, you can follow Dr. Janice at Dr. Janice. Thank you for being on the show. And see me at Constellation. Thank you, Dr. Janice. <laughs> CCE. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Relationships matter today more so than ever before. And the most important skill in terms of building relationships, maybe just listening. Uh, our, our final guest today is Dr. Mark Golson, Marshall Goldsmith 100 coach, best-selling author and founding member of Newsweek Expert Forum. Dr. Golson is considered one of the world's leading experts on empathetic listening and the inventor of surgical empathy. Dr. Golson is the author or co-author of nine books. Ray, you only have two. Nine books, including Just Listening. Sorry, Just Listen, which has been translated into 28 languages and became the top book on listening in the world. Dr. Golson is a business uh, psychiatrist uh, that the business world hires to overcome any and all people challenges, including fully engaging customers, investors, employees, undivided attention and interest. Dr. Golson is a co-founder of Michael Angelo Mindset, an approach that has been nominated for a 2021 Breakthrough Idea Award by Thinkers 50, which is the Oscars of management ideas yes. and thinking. Dr. Golson has an audio course called Defeating Self-Defeat at Himalaya.com and hosts the highly rated podcast, My Wake Up Call, which is in the top 1.5% of all podcasts. You can follow uh, Dr. Golson on, Mark, uh, on Twitter at Mark Golson, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N. Welcome, uh, Mark, to the Shrub TV. That's a lot to live up to. Uh, <laughs> have you read your wiki page on all of you've accomplished? This is about 10% of your bio. So <laughs> you have, you're a remarkable guest, and we appreciate you being on the Shrub TV. Well, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm so excited also to talk about this Michelangelo mindset, because if, if you, uh, I feel like I've just hit the, uh, hit the lottery because I found a concept that explains my entire professional life, everything about me under one umbrella. And so when you have something that explains everything, and I'll, I'll tell you, for, for instance, I, I may, uh, I trained as a psychiatrist, uh, UCLA, and I was a suicide specialist 20 for 25 years, none of my patients died by suicide. Wow. And I used an approach called surgical empathy. But what I realized with Michelangelo mindset, Michelangelo had this quote that says, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set it free. Wow. Wow. And so what I realized with my work with suicidal patients is I saw hope inside them that they couldn't see. And I carved until they could see it and feel it. And when they wow. started to feel hope, they let go of needing to die. But I've expanded this everywhere. I've trained FBI and police hostage negotiators because, if, because inside anyone who's having a conversation with you is a part of them that actually wants to give the gun up. How yeah. do you free it? 
And something else that may be of interest to you, Vala, is uh, I spoke in Russia, uh, I've spoken several times, and I headlined with Daniel Kahneman a couple of years ago. He wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, has a great book out called Noise Now. And what I spoke to these 1,000 Russian businessmen, managers, CEOs about is, uh, uh, is I said to them, you're listening to me just like the two of you are listening to me. And if I give you a bunch of bullets, you'll smile and you'll say, well, that was pretty good. But when you're listening to me, it's transactional. And what I said to the audience is, if I focus on you listening to me and I give you a bunch of bullets and I'm somewhat engaging, you'll give me your mind for an hour and you'll try the bullets. Most of them won't work. And you'll say it'll work for him. He's an expert. And then I switched over as I'm about to do with the two of you and do an experiment with the two of you from my AM dot, 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 dot voice to NPR FM. And I said to them, if I shift from focusing on you listening to me and getting your mind for an hour to focusing on what you're listening for, mm. and I get it right without you telling me what it is. And if I deliver on that, you'll give me everything. And so here, here's how I'm going to play it with the two of you, because right now you're listening to me. This is a great, you know, uh, interactive thing. You're checking boxes. Let's see this. Tell me if you can feel a shift in the two of you, because this is what you're, if I carve away, you're listening to me. This is what I think you're listening for. And tell me if it's accurate. And if it is, tell me if something shifted in you. All right, let's do it. I think what you're listening for is that you want to honor the trust and confidence of your viewers and listeners by giving them information that is relevant, clear, concise, doable by them immediately, because you don't want to waste their time. If they're giving you their time and their concentration, you want to live up to that trust and confidence. And you're listening for guests and people who can give them something they can use today that's relevant to them, clear, concise, and doable by them. You're also probably listening for people who might be best-selling authors, but they are stiffs. They are boring. They are arrogant. They are condescending. You're smiling politely at each other saying, let's not have this one guy. Let's not have this person on again because you want to protect your audience and you want to protect their precious time. So is any of that accurate that I just said? Spot on. Spot yeah. on. This is uh 248th episode. We've interviewed close to 800 people. And the reason Ray and I do it, and everyone's busy, but Ray and I are really busy. <laughs> but for the last five plus years, we've consistently committed to an hour on Fridays um, so that we can, first of all, improve our listening skills. I don't know if Gladwell's 10,000 hours apply to uh, what I consider to be lifelong journey of trying to be a better listener, and, and I've failed miserably along uh, so many uh, uh, at so many times throughout my career in terms of being an empathetic listener. But uh, yeah, I'm listening to you, hoping that I can determine the muscles I need to develop in order to um, in order to, to 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 be a better listener. But at the same time, as you perfectly summarized. All Ray and I want to do is to educate and inspire our audience. Uh, and we do this by inviting extraordinary people. And we have our fingers crossed because we only give you 20 minutes. And by the time I finish <laughs> like your bio, it's only like 18 <laughs> because you, the guests are so incredible. Um, can we do that in that small window of time that we have? Um, and that's 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 ultimately our so challenge. Are, are the two of you ready to build your listening muscles? Can I give you a way to do it? Please. Yeah, let's go do it. I'm Please. in. Please. Yeah. I want you to think of someone who cares about each of you. It could be a could be a spouse, could be someone who believes in you and wants the best for you. So picture that person. And I want you to go and ask that person and say, what do you think would be the positive effect on my success, the respect that people have for me, and our relationship if I became a better listener? Little, moderate, or large, in all likelihood they'll say, well, moderate, but here's the hooker. You say to them, uh, what do you think has been uh, the, what has already been the negative effect on my career, 
people's respect and our relationship when I have been at my absolute worst as a listener, mm-hmm. where I just interrupted, I talked over people. What do you think has been the negative effect that's already happened on my success, people's respect in our relationship? They're going to break eye contact and they're going to say, pretty large. Mm. And if you take it in, what you're going to say to them is look up at me. And you say to them, thank you Mm. for still believing in me and I'm going to fix this. That's your exercise. I'll tell you something else that we're giving away because in the Michelangelo mindset, what we've discovered the David, the statue of David is, and I actually did a one-man show playing Steve Jobs coming back from the dead. I had the turtleneck, (laughs) I had the glasses, I had the 501 jeans, I had the New Balance, I had everything. And it was all to tee up a video And so if you're watching or listening to this, do a search for Xerox Park National Geographic Steve Jobs. Xerox Park National Geographic Steve Jobs. And there's a a little over two-minute video of a dramatization of Steve Jobs discovering the graphical user interface and the icons. And if you look in that two and a half minutes, what you're going to notice, look into his eyes, is you're going to notice... At first, he's like the smartest person in the room, and he (laughs) sees the mouse, and he goes, can I try it? Wow. And then he puts his his index finger on the mouse, the music goes up, and he looks at the screen, and he starts to sweat. And then he looks at Wozniak, who's also in the video, and Wozniak, Steve Wozniak, really is in the video, too. He says, "When, when Steve looked at me, I said, once they go there, they're not going back. Wow. And then he continues with it. And then Walter Isaacson comes on and says they didn't know what to do with this at Xerox Park. But Steve Jobs knew they had to do something. And they went back to Apple and created the Macintosh. So wow. here is the David. You're going to write this down. The David is if you have a website, if you have all, all your marketing material, you want to connect with your customers. What you want to trigger in them is wow. Hmm. Yes. Mm. And wow, wow is oh I yes. can't believe what I just saw. That was Steve Jobs. Hmm. This is too good to ignore. I don't know what we're going to do with it. Ah, I see what we can do with it. We're going to build the Macintosh. Yes. So I consult, our company consults the companies and we say, look at your website. Do a picture of what you're market is looking for and listening for. And if you're not triggering wild, hmm, yes, yeah. fix it. Wow. Do you need a beginner's mindset? Do you need a certain degree of humility to be fully present and aware of these aha moments that are probably around us and we just yeah, totally don't see it? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I have sort of bloggeria and I, and I, I, wrote a, I wrote an article on why business people, especially alpha people, like some of the people in the room, uh, why they're afraid of empathy. Hmm. They're afraid to empathize because if I really let go of my agenda, if I really listen with a beginner's mind, I might discover something that I don't have that I can't even help. And I've been, I'm creating a course for an international accelerator. And every three months, I speak with uh, about 15 of their, their latest cohort. And one of the things I've been telling them, I think you'll get a chuckle out of this. I hope you will. I said, uh, and, these are, and these are startups who are just about using up all their friends and family money. So they got to go to outside money. And I said, when you meet an investor and they smile, do you think it's a Yes. And they say, yeah. I say, I say, no, investors don't smile. It's about money. What's happening is after two and a half minutes, they know it's a no and they're smiling because they don't want to be rude because they know you put so much energy into that deck and you got 10 more minutes to go and they already know it's a no. So they're smiling because they don't want you to catch that they really want to be rude and say, okay, I've seen enough. Goodbye. And, and the people in the cohort said, people said, oh, my God, that happened yesterday. I said, so here's the opportunity. And this is how you use the Michelangelo mindset. And I said, here's the exact script. And then we modified a little bit. Next time you're in a pitch like that and they smile, this is exactly yep, yep. what you say. 
with this tone. Uh, can we pause for a moment? And they're going to go, what, what? You caught me? You caught me wanting to be rude? Yeah. And they're going, what? Yeah. yeah. Can we pause for a moment? And they're going, yeah. And this is what you do. It looks great on Zoom. You could say, when I started, we were like this. Here was you with money. Here's me, a company needing the money. And we're like this. This is you with money. And I'm a company that's never going to see any of it. <laughs> so you were listening for and looking for something. And I didn't deliver it. So yeah. forget the rest of my presentation in the time remaining. What is it that you were listening for or looking for? Wow. Because yeah. maybe I'll find out what that is. But guess what? If I don't have it, I'm in a cohort of 15 startups. I can introduce you to people and I don't get any money from it. Uh, and I'll send you some stuff if I find a better match. And so you've turned an investor who you've lost into someone who's grateful to you because you're focusing on their success. Plus mm. you introduce two or three of your buddies in the cohort. They're going to be grateful to you. And you've, be, you've begun to develop a relationship where you can go back to any of them because you let go of your agenda to look into the piece of marble, which was, why don't I, it's, it's not working for me. The horse has left the barn but maybe I can help this person be successful. And I think I can connect some dots. Yeah, you say Michelangelo mindset is the ability to look into your immediate and longer term future and see success, happiness and fulfillment and mm -hmm. to carve away anything that gets in the way of achieving those. Absolutely. So when you make that comment, I think in a way you're carving away at that disconnect that exists to ensure happiness, fulfillment and perhaps funding. My last question to you is, for 20 years, if you fail to connect, if you fail to not listen empathetically, the person across you could take their life. So I suspect there was awesome amount of pressure on your shoulders because failure on your part to connect and to inspire and to carve the marble oh, yeah. could mean life or death. Yeah. Is that the experience that led you to spend a lifetime fine-tuning and chipping away at that marble and educating masses because of that incredible experience that is unique to you. Ray and I not listening will not potentially lead life. to life and death. Yeah. For you, for two decades, I think that was very unique, very powerful, and I'm, I'm guessing that's what shaped your, your life's work. Absolutely, because uh, if you've never been suicidal, you won't understand this, but death is compassionate to hopelessness. It takes the pain away. And, and people who are suicidal and they can't get away from the pain, they feel felt by death because it's going to take the pain away. And when they can feel felt by you. So surgical empathy uses a process that I call empatholysis. You know what dialysis is? Mm -hmm. So you go in and you lice a suicidal patient's attachment to death as the way to take away their pain. You lice it with empathy. And can I share a very quick anecdote or are we going to get booted off? No, please. No, you got time. You got about a couple minutes. Go ahead. I'll make it as quick as I can. So a lot of things turned around when I met a patient named Nancy. She had made several suicide attempts before I was seeing her. I was seeing her for six months. I didn't think I was making any progress with her. I used to moonlight once a month at a, uh, a state psychiatric hospital. So one Monday I saw her when uh, afterward, uh, after I'd been up for about 30 hours and, and she never made eye contact. And I, when I was with her, uh, suddenly all the color in the room turned to black and white. And I'm looking out, it's black and white. I get wow. chills. I do a neurologic exam on myself. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm tapping my elbows, looking at my fingers. And I said, I'm not having a stroke or seizure. And because I was sleep deprived, this is what I blurted out to this person who'd made several attempts before I started seeing her. I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad. And I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to, to get out of the pain. And then I thought, I just gave her permission. And then she looked at me for the first time in six months. And I said, what are you thinking? And I thought she was going to say, uh, thank you for uh, understanding. I'm overdue. And she looked at me and she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of the pain, 
maybe I won't need to. <laughs> wow. And then she smiled. The color came back and oh, she okay. came back. Wow. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Thank you for sharing that story. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Hey, you know, you talk to so many amazing people in your podcast, My Wake Up Call. I mean, you've talked to Dr. White recently, Steve Hoffman, our friend Tiffany Bova, you know, Gary Sanchez, Jay Levine. Like when you when you go through guests, I mean, what are some memorable guests for you? Like who's someone that just stands out and you say, this was amazing. And uh, and, and just just to get that kind of like insight, because My Wake Up Call is a, is a pretty, pretty intense. I mean, I've never I mean, you had me on and that was a pretty intense podcast. So. Well, well, what it is is I speak to people about what matters most to you and then sort of tell us the origin story. Uh, one of my favorite guests, I had, it on, had him on twice and he was my last mentor, was Larry King. Oh, and wow. so, and I went to breakfast with him every day with a group uh, before COVID and we would meet uh, in Beverly Hills. Um, and so I got to know him. And something that was really memorable is when I would be at the uh, breakfast table with him, you know, everybody's bantering and I'm listening. And I remember one day he said to me, he said, you're so morose. I, I said, what? <laughs> I said, well, look, I'm, I'm not here to talk about Dodgers or whatever, you know, and, and I'm just learning. I said, look, I'm not here to give everyone a hard time. You can, uh, I'm happy to, he said, no, 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 no. We need morose here. Because we get we get hyper, we banter, <laughs> and yada yada yada. And uh, so my second interview with him, uh, he talks about meeting Doctor Morose. And I said, <laughs> I said, Larry, I can't send anyone to the podcast. I said, What's going to happen? Oh, he said, oh, and this is what he says in the podcast: You need a keynote. You need someone to bring down the energy in your uh, in your <laughs> conference. You need someone to bring the level down. You got to hire Doctor Morose. But I'll share something that's going to get to the two of you. Because three days after he died, I did oh, no. an Instagram. And, uh, and I hadn't seen him for some months. And the last time I saw him was several months before. And I had this, and I do, did some hypnosis so we could try and eat. He'd lost his appetite. And as I was leaving, you know, his room, and he's kind of a gruff uh, person from Brooklyn. <laughs> I had this feeling, and this is what the Instagram was about. I had this feeling I might not see him again. Oh. And so as I'm walking past, you know, uh, the cherry was on. I said, Larry, one more thing. What? I love you, Larry. And he said, I love you, Morose. <laughs> no. when, when do you get to have a conversation like that? Oh my God. That's awesome. Wow. That's, We're here wow. with Dr. Mark Golston. You were about to say Dr. Moroz. <laughs> you can call me Dr. Moroz because I can tell you, you have guests that you have to bring down because, because it's like drinking from a fire hose with all of you people. We could have listened to you for, for, for many, many hours. Thank you so much for your shared wisdom. Unbelievable. From the story with Nancy to Larry King to just uh, helping us become better listeners, which I believe is a lifelong journey. So thank you so much. You were terrific. Oh, thank you so much. We're with Dr. Mark Colston. I'm not going to say the other word. Marshall gonna, Goldsmith, 100 gonna, coach. You're going to do ahead. those two exercises. Yes, I am. We're going to do those two exercises. Yes, Founding member, Newsweek expert forum. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark Colston. We will definitely try those two exercises. I'm sure I have run over so many people that this is going to be a painful exercise. <laughs> But a very, very worthy exercise. So thank, thank you, you so much for being here. Thank you. Check up his check out uh, my wake up call podcast available on Apple Podcasts, of course. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Happy Friday. So thank you very much. Wow. Thank you. Wow. We'll see you in the green room. Okay. That was an hour. Boom. Just like that again. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, protecting people, um, understanding that it's all about relationships. At the end of the day, it's all about relationships and and um, the importance of listening. And, and the, the Michelangelo analogy, where you start with a marble and you shape that into something beautiful, something that's revered, something that's admired, um, amazing. Absolutely. I, my mind is going a mile a minute right now. <laughs> I, I had so Very many more questions. I had so many more questions. 
but uh, three very but, deep thinkers three very yeah, yeah 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 you know definitely it's changing uh, our perspectives so absolutely okay uh, we're not going to have a show next week uh labor day oh, yeah. so we're going to see you in two weeks for episode 249 we're going to hit the 250 mark in in september episode 259 we're going to have ken grady senior vice president and chief information officer at idex we have david um Horsager, owner and CEO of Trust Edge Leadership Institute, and one of our favorite returning guests, Heather Clancy, Vice President and Editorial Director at Green Biz. So three extraordinary leaders, thought leaders, uh, practitioners for episode 249, which will be two weeks from today. Ray, closing remarks on today's episode and anything else that's going on in your world, which is, you know, clearly I hear the buzz, I see the buzz. Every time I turn on TV, uh, everybody wants to rule the world is being discussed. Kurt Smith, if you're out there, oh, we need to connect. Anyways, here's the Tears for Fear lead singer. Um, no, you know, I, I was just really floored by, it, by all the conversations today. I, I think, you know, we, we've gone through a lot of introspection. A great question, you know, was asked, you know, you know, post-pandemic, you know, what did you learn? Like, what did you learn about yourself? I think people are going through that exercise at the moment. I think that's super important. Uh, but yeah, but more importantly, I'm, I'm really excited about our guests, our viewership, our audience. You know, I mean, really thank you to everybody in our audience, you know, because it's been it's been crazy the last, uh, you know, 18 months, 19 months. And uh, you know what? You know, we've we've all we're, we've all been together having uh, you know conversations and dialogues, you know, through the show with the show. So very thanks. Uh, a lot of thanks for some great suggestions for guests, especially, uh, you know, throughout the year. So if you've got an idea, you got a guest, you know, great CEO, great author, someone insightful, deep thinker. Uh, someone that should be on the show, please let us know. You can direct message us, tweet us. Uh, happy to connect them. We are booked out about, I'd say, sadly, eight to 12 weeks out. So it might take a little bit longer to get you onto the show than normal. Uh, but we want to thank you all for uh, being, being a wonderful part of the community. And uh, you know, stay tuned. we got some very interesting things coming up, too, as well for the next year. Uh, Thanks, Alan, your thoughts? You good? No, you, you summarized it. And thank you for thanking our audience. We do this for you. And really appreciate your engagement. All right, cool. Well, if it's Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, come catch us on Disrupt TV, and uh, we'll see you every Friday. It's for next Friday. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. See you, everyone.